Five for active duty reserve guard. We roll. That's about stuff. Gentlemen, Mr. Bartos. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Greetings to Brock. Samuel, David, Mark. Who else is there? Michaela's Morgan, there. Michaela, mm, finally back, home. Right? Sure, Julie yeah, like Juliana. Yeah. That's a good nice. story. She wasn't allowed to see me today, so she was scrubbing in. Nice. If I may, just yes. very quickly to start. Um, several of our remote uh, students have complained, in, in a very gentle way, that the whiteboard on this camera is always washed out, they can't see it. So there is now a second camera showing your whiteboard, and um, it doesn't do much good to tell them that if they go to metaphora.com and, and go to the live video tab, that link, dropc.am slash p slash zadig2, is there for them to click, and they can hop back and forth between the, uh, the various cameras. Perfect. Right. That's good to know, because these are just going to stay here. I'm not going to do too much writing. Uh, I had a few uh, housekeeping items before I jumped right into the discussion about cooking. Housekeeping. You'll notice I don't have a PowerPoint, and so I just want to point out before anyone else did that I'm trying to incorporate some other visual elements into this this conversation so that I don't bore you to death. And it's therefore, no PowerPoint. It's <laughs> up here. And then I'm going to have like a little demonstration of some of the stuff that I'm talking about, oh, wow. including sound effects, which I just demonstrated now. So <laughs> hopefully oh, this on. keeps you awake. So we're going to be talking about three things tonight. I'm not sure how many we've covered by now, but it's been several. So the three melachot out of the 39 we're talking about are construction and demolition, which go hand in hand and then cooking. Hmm. I was just telling my father-in-law on jewishpathways.com, I think, they have classes for each of the melachot. There's typically one class per melachot. For cooking, there's six of them. (laughs) (laughs) So there is a lot to do with cooking. I'm going to try to just hit on the the main points there. But um, so anyway, we're going to start with construction and demolition, and and then we're going to get into cooking because that one's a big one. So Feel free, of course, to interrupt and ask questions as we're going along here. But uh, And I was just explaining to Taylor, one of the things that, I, that was helpful for me was through the years we understand that halakha has become pretty established. I mean, an Orthodox home looks very similar each one you go to. So what I'm going to be discussing mostly tonight are already established halakot instead of a lot of lead up to it, or, or a lot of the debates and discussion that took place in establishing the halakha. Right. We'll get into a little of that, but the main parts are, if you wanted to go home today and you absolutely did not want to violate the prohibition of construction, I want to make sure that I empower you to do that. 
Yeah, man. Can't wait. So, Monet, the first, uh, Monet is, is construction. So that's the first one we'll jump right into. And I basically have, like, what you can do and what you can't do. So, as all good parents would, we'll start with the do's. What we can do okay. on Shabbat that does not prohibit, uh, does not violate the prohibition of construction. So, much to your surprise, you can do things like open and close doors. You can place an attached nail or a special door pin uh, on a sliding glass door lock. That was a little confusing. Uh, you can start, let's see, or you can actually plunge your toilet. Oh, on Shabbat. Praise God. You wow, can uh, plug and unplug with a rubber stopper, like some drains. Uh, you can fold a cot. You can add a section to a table, like a leaf, and you can set up a folding table. That was a short list compared yeah, to what we can't do, we... so we will, we will jump right into the can't do. Uh, so you'll see, you'll see I have a couple things here that I'll kind of get into in a minute, but this is an obvious one, but you can't build a house oh. on Shabbat. You, you can't assemble a piece of furniture, you can't, let's see, so, oh, and th this is to illustrate, you cannot build a model, so playing with something like this would be okay, but to assemble the pieces with any type of tool would not be okay. So building but a kind snap on, model. it's okay. Well, we're going to get to Legos uh, in a minute, oh, so okay. I'm saving that one for last time, because that was a little, <coughs> a little trickier. Um, so then, this, these are interesting ones too because you'll see I have an umbrella here. But you can't, you cannot set up a tent on Shabbat. You, is, that, is that because it's it is your your bait, your home, your yeah? Your it's there. There was there was a pretty long discussion regarding like temporary dwellings. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't get much more temporary than an umbrella. Yeah. And an umbrella is still prohibited on Shabbat to open. Really? And the, the logic behind that is it, it is creating a temporary structure on Shabbat. So it's constructing something on Shabbat. With the umbrella, it's really what constitutes, as we know from Sukkot, like a legitimate dwelling is a roof. And yeah. that's essentially what an umbrella is, which is where the tents come into. So you can't close it either? Uh, Closing the umbrella. That that that's the is next on the edge of de demolition. Just demolition. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's if, right. That's if, right. If, if it's open before Shabbat. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. You can, so I, yeah. I'm just trying to plug this into what we already learned. So, I mean, my whole out with Taylor's class was temporary. It was temporary writing. It was temporary toilet paper. I'm okay. So even though this is a temporary dwelling, the temporary doesn't cut it this time. Right. Is that right? Right. Okay. It is. They they are pretty strict. I don't know if the strictness is specifically with this particular melacha, but um, they were really strict, as you'll see. I mean, you these are kind of a, uh, like for instance, you can't dig a hole to bury something. Uh, with someone, if you're Italian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you cannot. Let's see. You cannot attach plywood to your windows as like hurricane shutters. You can't hammer a nail into a wall. Ah, yes. I have a question on the umbrellas. Okay. If it's pre-open before Shabbat, when you leave it outside and then you bring it over your head, is that considered constructing? From what I could find, I don't think so. As long as they're pre-opened. Right. Cool. If it's pre-opened, it's sort of like setting up your sukkah before Shabbat and then dwelling in it yeah. on Shabbat. So it, it, I think you can avoid it by doing that. Yes. 
So, so how's that umbrella sales job going anyway? It's over <laughs> it? Okay. Well, actually, what you might want to start selling are those big, round, furry hats and plastic <laughs> covers for them. Because that's actually one of the things that I would see in Jerusalem is the guys would have, like, plastic covers. They would go on their hats. Mm. And whether it's the furry one or the round or the, the flat brim, Fintura, yeah. they're so broad that it basically cover, you know, 80% of their body. So whatever the rain's falling down, straight down at least, was usually fine. It was just, you know, if it's coming at an angle, you're in trouble. But yeah. Now we know go That's go the, gadget. Now, now we know. Now we know. <laughs> that, is a, that is a good point. Uh, we cannot install a doorknob. We're going through the things that we cannot do that would qualify as construction on Shabbat. We cannot place a sliding glass door back on its tracks. Uh-huh. We cannot put a kitchen drawer back on its tracks. Uh, we can't set up, this is interesting, especially for children, we cannot set up two chairs and then drape like a sheet over it in order to create like sort of a tent-like structure. That is, uh, that's not, not okay. Um, and so let's see here. This, this is the one about umbrella here. Um, so this is where this particular thing, Maris Aim, the appearance to the eye. This is kind of the concept that we, like, uh, most of us probably wouldn't go and have like a big Torah discussion in Starbucks on Shabbat, even if we didn't buy anything there. It's the appearance of like, what are they doing hanging out in like a place of commerce on Shabbat? It's the appearance of the eye. And so that's where the prohibition that extends as far as the umbrella, which is pretty, pretty far to think of an umbrella as a structure. That is actually where that comes in. It's more about like the appearance of the eye because you, you may end up carrying the umbrella outside of a roof. So in addition to the fact that it's setting up like a roof, another, an additional prohibition on that is you don't want to carry it around, even if you had prior, yeah. opened it prior to Shabbat, mm. um, lest you step outside of a roof by accident. Yes. Um, with regard, with regard to that then, is their primary concern with the umbrella the appearance, or is their primary concern that it is construction. Because uh, I know that a lot of times there's a lot of prohibitions that have to do not so much with what's actually being done, but with what you might do by accident in doing this activity. Like, for example, music, musical instruments are traditionally exempted or are, are, are prohibited on Shabbat because they're afraid if a string breaks in your guitar, you'll fix it without thinking about it. So is that the main reason why the umbrella is, is uh, prohibited, or is it more because they're actually concerned it is building something? Their, their concern is primarily that it is building something by opening it on Shabbat. Okay. But then that extends to like, oh, well, what if it was open and they just wanted to grab it real quick and carry it? Then there's like the, the double appearance of the eye, like, oh, perhaps you open that on Shabbat, or perhaps you would forget that you are holding an umbrella, and you step outside of your roof, therefore you are actually carrying. Um, so it's kind of a, a combination, but the actual act of opening with the mechanisms that like snap into place and create this temporary dwelling, they see it very similar as like a tent, even though it doesn't have walls. Hmm. Yes, sir? For the audience, could you define a roof? Uh, yes, uh, the roof that basically extends from one dwelling to another, which allows... A, an Orthodox Jew to go outside of his dwelling without really going outside of his dwelling because he is still underneath a roof. So he's still in his place. So he's still in his place. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a physical across the roof covering. It, it can be simply setting up like a, a some sort of 
wall, like boundary. Or a domain, like the fenced area of my backyard. Mm -hmm. You're not under the, the roof, but that is definitely in Your my room. domain. Right, because yeah, the roofs are, that's a whole other subject. That's really complicated. Yes. So, I'm asking for your halakhic opinion now. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about Taylor's wife because he often comes in and he's chazen, you know, and the wife is left in the car, it's pouring rain, they get the baby. So if I have umbrellas pre-opened Friday morning sitting outside here, and notice that he's come in and he's chasening and she's still sticking in the car because it's raining. Can I go grab one of those umbrellas and walk out there under the umbrella and get the formerly pregnant, now with child, woman and bring her in the dry? Would you say that that's okay for our community? Oh, me personally. I'm looking for your counsel. Ab absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. There, there is definitely additional strictness regarding carrying, additional strictness regarding the... Being uh, in a temporary structure alone with a woman. Uh, well, I, 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 I don't <laughs> want to have to go there. Yeah, well, I was, yeah, was going to carry two and hand yeah, her I mean, one. It's basically yeah. like a transparent elevator. Yeah, right? yeah, Although yeah, we're yeah, not okay. supposed right. to do an elevator. Yeah, right, right. Right, so, uh, so, so yeah, we're okay. I, I, would, I would say absolutely. Pre-opened, we're okay. Yeah. But you would, holotically, based on this class, you would have a problem if I had the stack sitting in the thing like they do at the restaurants, open it up on Shabbat to go get the women. That, that would probably I, I, be lack of preparation. Well, I am not convinced about this yet. Okay. Especially the umbrella one. I feel like this is probably one of the most stretched of the practical applications of this particular melacha. Because, as you'll see with the other things, it's kind of standard. Of course, we're not going to build a model on Shabbat. We're not going right. to build a house, right. you know, installing doorknobs and stuff like that. But <laughs> this one is just, it, it, because of the temporary nature of it and several other things, I, I am definitely um, on the fence uh, on, on this one. Not to be on the fence. Sure. Do you have a sound? Yeah, I Okay. I appreciate that. It's a good, honest answer. Um, good. Thank you. Yes. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this point, but I am still curious. Why then, in light of how strict they are on this issue, did they permit putting in a leaf on a table, opening up a folding table, and um, oh, putting away, putting up or putting away a cot? Is it because it's not like it's not under? No one's underneath it. That that is the main part. Yeah, it's not creating a dwelling at all. It's really just like adding to something that's kind of there already like one of the one of the things that we we can do you know in addition to those was like you know adding an, an attached nail to a particular sliding glass door lock or something like that you know so like kind of adding to something instead of actually creating or building is uh, is kind of okay which is how they get around the, the cot and the table yes. it's actually a similar concept in tractate suka they ask well, what kind of covering can you put over your bed in a sukkah? And if you put a covering that kind of goes up and then squares out a certain amount of length, technically it's prohibited because it's as though you have another roof uh, above the uh, sikhak, which is the, the like the whatever see-through stuff. Uh, but if you have like a like a point going to a point, like a little teepee tent, that's fine because you're not actually dwelling under another temp roof and you also can't go under your bed as well because then you've got the bed as your roof so it's it's 
pretty much, I think, conceptually. Okay, Joshua, similar. no sleeping under the table. Not on Shabbat. <laughs> right. Um, so then, but then, but, but putting together the last, putting a drawer back into its place would be something you're not supposed to do. Right, it would be not okay. Well, it seems so similar to me to putting a leaf in a table. I don't know, I'm just, I'm a little confused. Well, it would kind of be, I, I, I kind of see it like the concept would be like the, 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 if it was similar, it would be like the little silverware insert in the drawer, like to take out and remove that, I would assume would be okay, which is similar to like the leaf. It's just sort of an addition okay. to the table, not necessarily like, well, this table wasn't here before, and now we just like completely okay. set it up as it would be like there's no drawer, and now there is one as we put it back on its tracks. Okay. Now, interesting ways that this does translate into other like grooming areas is braiding the hair. Somehow falls under construction. I'm not positive about this one because I would have thought that it was maybe another one like the tying or something like that. But anyway, that was mentioned. So I'll throw that out there. Any, then anybody getting out of the military anytime soon needs to be aware of that. They're likely to grow their hair long and braid it. Start braiding it, especially because they haven't been able to do it for right. like decades. Like so. right. Yes. <laughs> well, I, ponytails are probably okay. Braids are not. Pro, I mean, it's yeah. a harder, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll have to consult the the nearest Rob for that though. Now, when it comes, this is the other one, and this is Joshua and I was talking about this before. It was uh, the concept of using hairspray is actually a concept of like solidifying a structure um, out, outside. You might keep on. Yeah, yeah. So, so hairspray is typically typically not allowed on on Shabbat Friend for that um, for that particular reason. Now, the uh, interesting one that I figured everybody would bring up would be Legos. Because, you know, a couple of things. One, they're temporary, obviously. And two, it's not necessarily like they're screwing anything in. And you can't really make, like, a, a legitimate dwelling out of them. I mean, there's a lot of factors that would contribute to the fact Challenge that accepted. you wouldn't think necessarily that this would qualify as building. However, not okay. Really? Most of the rabbis what about for children? say that adults should definitely not play with Legos. Adults. However, sure. there are some that say that it is okay for a child to play with Legos, but not necessarily build a structure for other Legos, people. Lego men and people and things to dwell like inside. Ah. So um, is that again going back to the appearance? or Because obviously it's not a dwelling for us. Right. You're teaching I, the correct it, it probably is uh, along the lines of like an appearance thing. Um, this was something that I, I've been thinking a lot about because I talked with my wife and children about these things beforehand. And that one is a good example, like Mr. Martin was just saying. I, that is one area that I, I really don't know if I understand enough to make like a proper criticism of Judaism as a whole, but that sounds just odd to me because Judaism is, so, they have such a focus on the training up of children. I mean, we say like the, the whole, the, the Shema three times a day and it includes like training up our children. And this particular area, it's like, oh, well, children, they can kind of do this, but you can't. And you're like, well, what kind of message does that send? If we're supposed to teach them about these things, and we're not doing them ourselves, you know, and I just think of a practical example, even with writing or coloring, you know, my children love, Sophia specifically loves to color, and it would just be so odd to be like, all right, go ahead, Sophia, color away, and I'm sitting over there, and she's like, well, Daddy, could you come and color with me? And I'm like, whoa, no, that is against Shabbat. Are you kidding me? 
And it's like, well, why am I doing it? I would think she would ask me. And so in order to be consistent, I kind of, if, if it's not okay for adults to do according to the rabbis, my children won't be doing it either. Take that. Yes. And so <laughs> now we'll jump to the demolition. And there isn't too many here. There isn't a, a whole lot of like practical ways that demolition uh, occurs. I mean, you so can do like one. Oh, yeah. So you're not just going to play your, your first 17 minutes backwards? No. Just checking, okay. No, yeah, that would be funny. Yeah, no. Not going through it. You can't go on like a Twitter rampage. You can't even give this presentation over. Yeah, no. um, so the, really the one thing that they were saying in regard to demolition that you can actually do, because we're kind of being consistent here with categories of do and categories of don't on Shabbat, the only one that really came up with from the things that I was studying was well, if a child is locked behind a door, you, you can, like, take the door off to, to get the child. Well, how cool is this? Oh, that's, child, that's pretty much child the only one that I could find. Like, the only way that demolition <laughs> is, like, open. Wait till Abdallah! We'll be there shortly! <laughs> Here's some Cheerios! <laughs> if you find your in the bed, don't eat it. I understand your cramping. <laughs> no, you're going to open that door. Well, right. along, along those lines, wouldn't it be something along the same lines if you had uh, if you had bad weather and the, the house was was uh, collapsing, you would certainly break in to help people out of a basement or something. Right, like that. Life. right, life absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. The things that we cannot do are pretty straightforward, but I'll go through them anyway. We can't break down walls. We can't, and this one's interesting, but you can't take a pole out of the ground. Because it's essentially the theory is that the pole is a structure in and of itself, and, and you can't take down that structure anyway, which does relate a little more specifically to the assembly and the taking down of the tabernacle than some of these others do. So I can I can see that one. And then you can't break a window or punch a hole in the wall. Dang it! Break a window. Um, I was gonna. You know, if you spill coffee on your copy of the Tosetta or something. You can't get all mad at that. <laughs> um, yeah, that you made the tea essence. And, uh, yeah. Um, and then you can't take furniture apart. Um, you can't unscrew like a kitchen doorknob. And you can't take a door off its hinges for no like threatening reason. And that pretty much sums it up. Some of the sources, since I'm not using PowerPoint, uh, some of the sources of these were like puretorah.com has some really good classes about these specific melachot, and what I loved about it was this guy was just super practical, like, all right, here's, here's how we'd find this, and here's what you do, and here's what you don't, done. And it was nice, and I like that approach, because as I said, I would like for someone who feels compelled to be able to go home armed with enough information to make sure that they do not prohibit, or they do not participate in a prohibited act on Shabbat. So, uh, another one was uh, Israel.h.com. They had like some interesting things about like the Melakat Bone about construction and everything. So that uh, that segues right into the big one. This is the, uh, the this is big. Uh, cooking is going to be interesting. So I I thought one of the most interesting things to to lead up to this that I was I was really surprised myself was where the concept of cooking actually came in in terms of like. The, the tabernacle, because we, there are other places where you could definitely pull that from, but baking makes sense because of the showbread. So baking is prohibited, and that one 
Let me actually turn this because there are additional definitions. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He prepared. I don't think you're moving that, buddy. That looks no? good. That looks good. It's no, good right it, where we are. That's a good perspective. I didn't realize. I'll lean it back. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. Okay. Can so, the camera see it, though? <laughs> I'm checking now. Yeah. Checking yeah. Now. Probably better. Stand by. Stand by. So, um, so Ofe is the baking, and then Bishul is cooking. It's really funny to listen to, like, Ashkenaz classes where they're just like, Hello, hello, Bishul. Hello, Bishul. It's really uh, amusing, but the one that we're going to really focus a lot more on is the bashul because that has a lot of things there. But the reason for that is actually in the building of the Mishkan, herbs were boiled in order to make dyes for the curtains. That's where it comes from. Yeah. Which is so, I just would have never really guessed. Like, you think of the construction of the tabernacle, you're like, what are we cooking? I mean, I can see the baking with the bread, but... I don't really know, like, but that that does make sense. So that's where cooking comes in, and you'll see how strict this is. It is pretty intense. In fact, instead of having just like a kind of a boring PowerPoint and everything, I thought, yeah. uh, why don't I? I I'll, I'll try to I'll try to like actually demonstrate. Yeah, make some noodles. Right. Yeah. So so you'll you'll see here. Um, we'll go ahead and call the biggest one the Kli Rishon, which is the Cold. first vessel. So this is. The one that we're going to assume is kind of on the direct heat. This has been like underneath the burner. This being the blech or like the the hot plate. Um, sometimes they are electric that you turn on on Shabbat and they just heat up on themselves. But other ones are just like these metal sheets that you put over your stove and actually turn on your stove before Shabbat that heat the blech and then you can use your stove in that method. Then we'll use the smaller pot as the kli shani or the second vessel. And then this here bowl that we'll be actually eating out of will be the Kli Shishi. So this is the, the actual, like, third vessel. Um, so that, as you can, it's pretty straightforward. Um, a couple of other definitions to go through real quick is the Yad Soledad Bo is like the temperature that is, like, the, basically, like, what the sages said was the temperature because, like, perhaps they didn't really have thermometers and stuff, but that was, like, when it's so hot that you would withdraw your hand from the liquid, or the solid, for the, in fact. But modern times, that is pretty standardly defined in most places that I've seen as 113 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's an important one to remember. Then we've got, so we talked about the blech. And this was a, a cool word, actually, because it showed up all over the place, and it was really hard to see what it actually meant. Doritos. And, um, yeah, it, it looks like that. Um, Diorita. Diorita. Yeah, di, Diorita. Diorita is basically like from the Bible. So that is, that, that's how we would say like, oh, this is a biblical prohibition versus like, oh, this is a rabbinic prohibition. So you'll, you'll see, I'm, I'm actually going to go through the ones that they qualify as biblical first because uh, they, they, you would be, you'd be quite surprised. So um, we'll get right into that. I'll kind of read through some of these here. So, so for the um, for like non-foods like bricks and stuff like that, um, the biblical prohibition is only violated whenever the property of the substance is changed. Um, and in fact, let me make sure that I properly. So yeah, the uh, um, basically like the way that they would qualify bishul is like 
you are changing the state of something. That's sort of like the standard definition of, of what that might be. Raw to cooked. Exactly. Raw to cooked, liquid to solid. Cement there's, to there's concrete. There's some really interesting discussions regarding mm. things like that ha that have like heavy fat content on it. Yeah. Like you know, you, you put like a piece of roast beef or something like that in the refrigerator, and some of this fat solidifies, but then when it's warmed, it actually kind of liquefies a bit. So anyway, oh. that a lot there, but. Um, so then for solid foods, the biblical prohibition is only violated if the food changes its state from being inedible to edible. And of course, of course, there is a dispute about what the minimum standard of edible is and, uh, and you know, what would be considered the violation of, of like this particular one, the diorita, uh, like which, which one is biblical or not. And um, if it reaches half of its cooking, the uh, Ben Durisai holds that it is going from inedible to edible, but uh, the Rambam actually says once it reaches a third of its cooking, you've violated this prohibition. So you have two kind of opinions regarding how cooked a thing could be before it violates the biblical prohibition for cooking solid food. Yes. Um, is there an example of this that might not look like starting from scratch? Because I think that just based, well, potatoes. If you okay, I was thinking like if you, when you read um, some of the discussions on cooking in general in the in the Torah, um, when it mentions, for example, that like you can cook on Pesach, as 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 though somehow that's an exception. The Yom Tov. Yeah, you can't cook like you can't cook on Shabbat, but you can't cook on Yom Tov. Um, I think that it's like so I, I wouldn't put a steak on the grill on Shabbat, but um, you said potatoes. Potatoes are generally considered inedible when they're raw. Okay, but. You know, you cook them, they move from inedible to edible. A third cook. Yeah. A third or a half, depending on who's hollow yeah, Exactly. By the way, just as a quick aside, a lot of us have been just willy-nilly saying, yeah, you can you can cook on your own toe. Yeah. Let's just remember that the assumption is you can only cook on a young tove if you've got a fire that started before, before Shabbat yeah. began. The idea that, oh, I can just walk up to the gas stove and click, 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 and light the burner and cook on Yom Tov is heretical. Forget that. Right. In addition, they also argue that you can only cook on a Yom Tov if the food you're cooking is going to be eaten on the Yom Tov. Exactly. If you're not eating, if you're, if you're right. cooking let's, for the day after, you know, let's, let's make some stuff for next week. No, not today. No, yeah. Oh, it's I, Chef Gregory. I, know, I forgot my yeah. answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. No step behind the board, board put that on. Step back. <laughs> oh, I know. I probably <laughs> should. I'm, I'm, cooking I'm, show I apologize for that. <laughs> Change of clothing. Um, okay, so then, uh, let's see. Even if the food is already minimally edible, edible, then there is further violation of Bishul when it is furthered cooking. So if you've reached that halfway point, and then you cook it to like the three quarters of the way done, that is not okay, biblically. So then, like, biblical, right? that would be like if you're if you had if you had that one piece of chicken that wasn't cooked all the way through, and you just kind of zapped it the last little bit on Shabbat, that'd be a problem. That would be forbidden. Okay. Yes. Forbidden again. <laughs> so then, regarding Chef liquids. Gregory. The biblical violation of Yeshua Chef, 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 Chef. Oh, yes. So Chef, you, you said Chef. biblically. Okay. Do you have any verses for these? Yeah. Definitely not. All right. Yeah, yeah. by biblically. <laughs> it's like, it's it's like biblically. biblically. It's rabbinically yeah. biblical. <laughs> Well, it's the great, biblical, great. I but say, it's, I've never I read was, anything about cooking on Shabbat. It's in the purview of the rabbis, though, <laughs> right. to where it's either derived and inferred from biblical passages to the 
down the line, or it's derived and inferred from rabbinic. Well, that's what sources. I understood. It's just this is the first time we've heard the Doritos. Part, so I didn't know if it was coming. This so the, it's this not Doritos. This is the same thing that you were doing with the crackers Doritos. last week. Exactly, right? yeah. So Where it's Doritos a, what, this it's week, crackers last rabbinic week. or biblical it doesn't necessarily mean that we have a proof so, text. Right. That, that is such a helpful, thank you, because that is a really helpful uh, just caveat, because I certainly wouldn't want to confuse anybody. There's definitely no scripture references to this stuff. No scripture references. The same thing on the, on the Yom Tov. We, we know that we cannot kindle a fire yeah. on Shabbat. The question is whether a Yom Tov qualifies as that kind of Shabbat. And if you're really interested... And, and Rabbinic says yes, but no. Oh, that's right. Jeez. So, whereas in the Bible, if you're just going to read, you're not necessarily going to say that I can't kill a fire on Tuesday, Next, two weeks, uh, two ten weeks from now, right. or yeah, be, uh, 13 days from now. Tuesday, two weeks from now, because it's the first day of Pesach. And the, uh, the Talmud actually just started a new Doth tractate, Beitza, which is all about what you can and can't do on Yom Tov. So if you're really interested, yeah. pick up a copy of the Talmud. Ah, good point. Art Scroll has everything on sale, 30% off. <laughs> uh, Make sure to purchase the first so, so regarding the liquids, the, um, the rabbinically biblical violation of Yeshua is violated when the liquid is heated up to the 113 degrees. So it's gone from a state that was not that to, to that or higher. Now, let's see. Even if a liquid is Yad Soledetbo, most poskim hold that there is a biblical, via, uh, biblical violation of Yeshua if one continues to heat it further until it reaches its boiling point. So that would mean if you heated it up bef- you know, to 115 degrees Fahrenheit before Shabbat, it's kind of there, you can't crank up the heat again and bring it to its boiling point on Shabbat. That would be further cooking it. Hmm. Let's okay. see, then um, one of the interesting things was, you know, like what is defined as a liquid, the uh, Shabbat kitchen, page 11, actually <laughs> writes that uh, only something which is completely solid, such as meat, chicken, or kugel is considered solid, and so everything else is kind of considered a liquid. Um, okay, so now we're going to kind of get into like the do's and the don'ts, which I'll try my best here to, to actually kind of demonstrate, because it, it, it is really interesting. I haven't really, it it's kind of a funny little thing. I tried looking up, like, I'm very visual, so I'm trying to look like a YouTube video. Like some guy, it's not Shabbat, but he's showing you what you would do on a Shabbat. Yeah. yeah. There was like nothing. No. Like, I mean, Google almost got mad at me for putting in, like, you know, Shabbat cooking demonstration. It was like, what? That's not happening. <laughs> warming demonstration. Mm-hmm. Shabbat warming demonstration. We have, yeah. uh, while, you're, while you're drinking there, we have a comment from uh, Yosef Ben Gershon, who's watching uh, remotely. Uh, he says, the best type of black, which you just went through there in the hot plate, is the unblack, which is like a cookie sheet that's hollow. And the hollow is filled with water. Oh, and it then the putting of a clee on and off the black is permitted. Nice. Because, yeah, we'll get into like whether or not you can remove and put yeah, back. Yeah, those, um, there you go. That, that is a big, that, that's a really interesting point that kind of reminds me of when we had a rabbi in our midst because our, our <coughs> oven was not kosher. He created his own oven by using a couple sheets of tin foil, tin foil yeah. which is really neat how they get around some of these things. 
And that is a great point. Um, I, very, very helpful. So these are some of the things that you can do on Shabbat that does not violate Bishul. So we can put, let's see, we can put fil- fully cooked food on a covered stove before Shabbat with a timer to turn on on Shabbat. So you can, uh, you can also pour fully cooked hot liquid into a cleavery shown that is off the heat source. So if this is like the main, the main one that we have our fully cooked food in, and then typically the liquid is going to be in a separate urn. I did not have one laying around the house to bring to demonstrate, but that is what holds your hot water for a variety of things, including like making the, the, the tea with the essence and everything that we'll get into in a minute. But you can add the hot water to the cleavery shown once it is removed from the source of heat. Yes, that's, that's the 112.9. So the little urn with the water, is that just hot water that you previously heated up and it's sitting in there yeah. losing temperature? Or can you have that as an unsustained heat source? It's, it's, it can be on a sustained heat source. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But that could be that could be any temperature because you're starting it before Shabbat, right? It's already heated. Right. Exactly. Yeah. As long as you don't go to boiling after Shabbat. After it, yeah. Like if you had it at a certain temperature and then you, you couldn't raise it, it right? But, crank up but that's the, why you had the black because it's not supposed to raise the temperature. Exactly. It's, it's supposed just, to maintain a consistent heat throughout Shabbat where you can keep things. Warm and you, so you can't like if something's on, you can't just crank up the heat no matter right. what. Right. Well, okay. Right. It is, and and most of the time that is because. Most of the time, you would not like be doing that for long enough to actually like break some of the biblical violations. But typically, that is more of the like the thing going back to like the appearance of the eye on Shabbat. No matter you have a Shabbat oven or you got yourself a black and everything, all of the knobs are covered, including on your. So you don't accidentally. So they don't accidentally turn it up because the whole idea is, well, what if you forget? Yeah, that's what all of them say. Like every source that I read was like, well, what if you forget? <laughs> like to turn, if you turn it up a little bit, so they they just generally say no. The Shabbat oven, yeah, allows you to punch in any temperature you want, and, and it, it makes absolutely there. no sound and no evidence that you've done so. We we have two of them. Two Shabbat. What do you use? Wow. Do you have Shabbat toaster? From the Shabbat. The story, Shabbat though, oven. When you turn it on, Rick, Rick, and I think Scott, you got a Shabbat oven. They say S A B on them when you put it in Shabbat. Yeah, because it. But they have like little to- like small because I can't replace the oven in my apartment. You're whining at it. They'll never know. No, I want to. I want to know. If they, <laughs> I want to know if they have toaster ovens like that. I don't think yeah, so. I think they do. You can get OU on all sorts of stuff. Yeah, like yeah. Just definitely Google it. Yeah. Do you use Google? So when it comes to, <laughs> I, use, I use Bing. Not on Google's not kosher, so not on Google is yeah. not. Kosher. I use Bing. This most is, links. This is uh, <laughs> still, still the cleavery shown off Bing of the links. heat source here. What we can do is take fully cooked solids, like meat or chicken, and add it to this stew that we have here that has, you know, like the meat and chicken, but we can, like, add it to it if it's off the heat. If it's off the heat. Yeah, if it's it's like, this is the the main dish that was, it it was cooked in, and this was sitting on the blast. The spaghetti noodles in that. Yeah. And you're about to add the meat sauce. Right. Okay. And this is totally okay. fully cooked. And it's, it's, it's home now. Gotta mix it. You gotta take it off the black. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you can't mix it on the no. on the black. You take it off. Yeah. All right, I'm with you. Go ahead. Go ahead. This, is, this is coming into like the cooking. Thing. Yeah. I just need to get it really I want to get the shiny and fleshy tail going. Yeah. Okay. So then you can also reheat fully cooked solids. Which, so if we've got like chicken and stuff like that, 
um, we can go ahead and reheat the chicken on the blech. And you'll see there, there is, that, that might sound obvious, but there are a bunch of other things that you, you would be surprised that you can't do. So, like, this, this is actually a cool little concept. They say, they say, Ein bishul acher bishul, which is like, after cooking, there is no cooking. Like, if, if something is absolutely fully cooked, like a piece of chicken or meat, like, you can't really cook that any further um, using a blech. Again, like, when you yeah. blow it up and, yeah. you know, it's getting charred and everything, that's still, that would, that would violate it. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then one of the things that was interesting and applicable is, like, the warming of a baby bottle, like babies, uh, like a bottle of milk. You can do that in the cleavery shown if there is a lot of milk in the bottle and if the cleavery shown is off of the blech. And, and the, the idea being behind like there being a lot of milk is that the milk does not reach, which I don't think you would ever want it to, anyway, does not reach that temperature, the 113 degrees. <laughs> Here you go, baby! <laughs> <laughs> Let me just test this. <laughs> yeah. Um, then... Another thing regarding, like, in addition to foods and stuff, is like sugar, saccharin, instant coffee, soup powder, milk powder, instant cocoa, and table salt. You can put that into the second item, the cliché. You can you can add those things into those because typically they those are like cooked pretty pretty well. I mean, that like for instance, it says specifically instant cocoa because the regular cocoa not be okay but instant is like cooked to death so like there's just really not a way that you could cook that any further so that is okay to put in the Klee Shani. And the Shani deal is not inside the Rishon deal it's just next it, what, what's the deal here? Yeah so this would be like the the second vessel so let's say I've got the urn and it was never actually clear if the urn itself was the cleave shown in, in the in the course of like the liquids, it, because I I'm pretty sure that it is. And then you would put like you would have those items in let's say an additional mug, and you would take the hot water from the cleave shown the urn and put it into the cleave shaney. Which is why, like, when it comes to a tea bag, yeah. some of the ways that you get around that, because most of the time they say, just make tea essence, don't bother with a bag because you're cutting it really close. But some rabbis actually get around that by having the kli shlishi of another cup. So you would take hot water, put it in a cup from the urn, kli rishon into the kli shani, and then you would put that into another cup, which is kli shishi, one to two to the three. third vessel, and then you could dip, you could put your tea bag into it. Okay. So yeah. is the difference just the size of it, or no, 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 no. the size has nothing it's to do with it. It's all about, yeah, it's all about the order of, of which things can pass. From of, which of, like pass. of of food or liquid to you to mouth, like food or liquid to mouth. Like, you could have one vessel, you could eat straight out of the cleavery shown, or you could pass it to different vessels. And different things to... require, well, you can just go straight from cleavery shown, or you need to go from cleavery shown to shenanigans. Exactly. Or, well, yeah, and that's so really all, all three of them. Yeah. Could, could a vessel include a plate? So, like, let's say you get your pasta from the cleavery shown. You put it on your plate, and then you realize it's not seasoned right, and you add salt to it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that would be okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. But and you, you have to be careful. There is an interesting thing because you have to be careful. There is a sometimes with certain things 
And this is, there's a certain Hebrew word for this that I can't recall at the time, but it's basically like when a particular item becomes so hot that it counts as a Kli Rishon, with that example, it would be a potato. So if you put a potato or a piece of meat that has reached its fully cooked state and you put it on a plate, those retain heat so well that they actually do forbid putting like cracked pepper or butter on your potato or seasoning on the steak at that point, even though it's on a Kli Shani, because the Kli Rishon has actually passed to the, the food because of how hot it is. So now, it's does that cool. change if you move mm -hmm. it to another, another plate in between, or does that just stay with you? Yeah, if you went from that plate to another plate, and then maybe to a Kli Shlishi, you would definitely need to ask a Rav. <laughs> I'd be opening that potato and putting it on the butter. <laughs> yeah. And on the pepper. That's, that's yeah. right. Salt, well, I could, I could kind of plate. understand that. I mean, let's say, you know, you, that's the whole point of adding butter to a hot potato is because it immediately melts. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay, so then um, a, a, let's say, so we've got the Kli Rishon here. This, this is some soup, and let's just say this is like a soup tureen, and we're ladling the soup into a Kli Shani. And then we put it into, from the Kli Shani, into a Kli Shlishi. Hey, Greg, quick question. Yes. I, would, I don't know what a soup terrain. I don't either. Thank oh, you. it's it's like you know, like a, <laughs> a cultured swan. Oh, yeah, a, a gravy boat or like a little container that holds the soup instead of just a pot. You what know? a gentile! You, you're like oh, adding. Wait, you guys are adding bars, into kind of a fancy like a ceramic holder. They know it all. Yeah, I guess I'm caught up on that now. So so then so we've got the soup in this nicer little thing that we set on the table. So now it's in the cliche. You can call it a terrain for everybody okay. else. Alright, uh, I only learned that word when I married Morgan, actually, so not too bad. If you didn't marry a scucciarini, you're off the hook. <laughs> then you're scooping, you're ladling the soup from the cliche into a cliche, which is your bowl. Then it is okay, actually, to add bread to it. So it's Even though bread is fully cooked and fully baked, there is some, some weirdness regarding like how soon you could add something like bread or croutons to a particular thing. So it has to go from so one to two to three. Wow. Yeah, so it's got to go from like one to two to three, then bread is okay. Is there like a list of where you can get this? Like, how do you... I've got it all here. I figured we'd just post it. Absolutely. I, I, it was harder to find. This one was not on the cool guy from puretora.com. He did not do one on this. We can see why <laughs> Surprising. Now. And uh, I, will, I will include a link to this absolutely fantastic course on the um, Jewish pathways regarding all of this. They have like neat little graphics and stuff like that. You can take quizzes at the end of each lesson. That that will cover everything that I'm covering and more and, and also have really extensive footnotes. So that's a fantastic one. So we'll post that link after this one for sure for anyone that wants to do further study into this. Then, let's see, the, uh, the cooked liquid that is cooled can only be put into a second vessel. So if we've brought a cooked liquid to a temperature higher than 113 degrees Fahrenheit, then we couldn't add it after it's cooled back into the Kli Rishon, but we could add it back to the Kli Shane. Or the third one, but that's like the minimum of how, how uh, far we could go with that. Then we've got, let's see, so um, Halakha says that a food can be reheated only using the same method that it was used to cook it in the first place, 
So, like, something that was previously cooked may be reheated only via hot liquid um, versus, like, roasted or baked. Like, if something was baked, you couldn't, like, then boil it on Shabbat, even though it's, like, reheating. Like, it's fully cooked, and you're reheating it, but it's not the same method. Um, so if you've used some sort of liquid, you know, uh, to make the soup and everything, you couldn't put that in the oven and to try to use the hot air mm. to bake it and everything. Mm. Um, slow cookers can be used on Shabbat so long as the food is put in there and fully cooked before Shabbat starts. So it's typically frowned upon that you wouldn't be, like it wouldn't be actually cooking in the, in the process of Shabbat. That, like, everything is kind of done cooking and being kept warm on the black for Shabbat starting. We, okay, so we place cooked food on the black before we light the candles on Friday night so that the food remains warm until our meal. So in practice, you know, we make sure that our food is fully cooked before Shabbat, we just said that. Then the common solution to reheat food is by placing it on top of another pot, which is on the heat source. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of cool. So what, what they do suggest is you flip the lid over on a particular pot that is on the blech, and if you did just want to warm, let's say, your bread, you would, you would be able to actually set it like on top of here, because the idea being it could never reach a, a heat that would be enough to change its state in any way or fully cook it at all. It would just reach a warm state. So this, that would be okay. That's one way to go ahead and, and reheat your food. Um, then you can place the food that you want to reheat on that pot. Um, okay, that's, yeah. And then uh, it is permitted to return food to the black on three conditions. Now this is this is a little tricky because this is where like the whole reading thing comes in because theoretically you would have this pig blech and you would have all this stuff on it that you've prepared before Shabbat and now it's Shabbat and you've got Friday night dinner you've got if if you know and then you've got your lunch the next day potentially breakfast and then your dinner the next day depending on the time Havdalah is and so the idea is like, okay, you're ready to eat this? All right, great, let's, let's take this and we're gonna eat it and we're gonna be done with it. That's the idea, but there is three conditions to when you can return something that is not completely gone to the black. Here are the three. When you intend to put it back right away. Two, you, this is, if you, you can, can't do this? No, no, you, you can. This you is can. the way that you can like, Take this is you know you've got some delicious stew in the cleaver so shell to everybody and come you're back. like yeah serving and then you're okay. gonna come back and put it yeah. on the black. Okay. These are the ways. The, one of the, the the second one is actually if you continue to hold the pot, and then the third one is if the food does not cool off before you return it. So if you're not holding the pie, you know, you, the kids are, are all over your leg, okay, and and now you realize well it, mm. it's hardly cooled at all, so I can return it back to the black. So those are the three conditions about when you can take something off and then put it back on. So here are the don'ts. So what was the first one again? The first one was if you just intend to put it back. Like okay. that your intention all along is to put it back on the black. So the idea is you're not in increasing the temperature of the food. Right. right. So it's like if you're taking it out of the first vessel to put it into a serving vessel, for example, and then put the first vessel back on the black again. That's fine. But the yeah. serving vessel, the stuff in the serving vessel, vessel can't go back on the right. right, exactly, exactly. Yes, sir. Let's say you take it off and you just put it on the table, and it's like you serve everybody and you leave it on the table in case anybody the whole meal. seconds. No, your host. You got to put it back on immediately. You can't put it back on because it's going right. to increase the temperature again. It's going to yeah. It's going to cool off. If on the you tip. put it in the 
The second vessel, can you put it back on? No, that the second vessel typically doesn't go on. Can't put the second vessel. Like the clear shell is really like the thing that's basically. If you think about it, I mean, the irony, of course, is that um, if you've ever tried to do a Shabbat dinner with like some cool plates and stuff and serving dishes, this actually is is not that hard because. Um, like I know that there are times when like my mom or my wife will be make it make a meal in a big pot or something and they don't want to use that on the table for right, pot. Right. So they'll that they'll scoop it there. out of that. Right. They'll stay on the stove, they'll scoop it out of that and put it in, you know, a serving dish. Towards the end of the meal they'll look at your plate and they'll go, Well there's more, you know. Right, and, they, and you can always go and add more. So same concept here, if you got a blast instead of a stove top, mm-hmm. you just leave the main dish or the main the utensil on the on the black and it. use that to serve into the serving dishes. Not that. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. So the first clee is that one. It stays on there. Yeah. Nothing else is on there. Or right. Like, I, if I'm not mistaken, anything that's on the black is considered the clee rishon. And it's got to stay there unless you take it off and it has to remain off. Right. Unless we meet those qualifications off, of like okay. putting it back on. Or you right. Put it right back on. Or yeah. you put it right back on and you're still holding it all like The key is just that you don't want the food to cool. Right. Right. Exactly, that's the main okay. thing. Main thing. Gotcha. So here are the don'ts. It's not too, too many of them, but we'll go through them. So you can't put any food on the fire into a pot that is on the fire. So like if this pot is empty, you can't like go ahead and just like add food to it, like on its heat source. That needs to be done before you buy it. You can't this is this one is is quite interesting actually. So let's say theoretically this is the stovetop and we have four burners but we only have one and two on. If this, the cleavage shown, is sitting right on top of the burner, you can't move it off of the heat. Or if it's been sitting over here, you can't move it closer to the heat. Because it'll change the temperature again. Mm. Not, not okay. You can't remove any food from something that isn't fully cooked because it will hasten the cooking process. So if there is theoretically something that that isn't completely cooked on Shabbat, which is already kind of a stretch, you certainly cannot take anything out of it because the less something is in there, the faster it will cook. Mm. You cannot cover a pot if the food isn't fully cooked because, again, that will hasten the cooking. So Mm -hmm. we cannot do that. We can't return food to an oven even if it is fully cooked because an oven will hasten the cooking. Wait, say that again? You can't return food to an oven. That's already cooked? Right. It'll get hotter. Yeah, because it'll it'll just get hotter. So that'll hasten the cooking as well. Because that's a big thing. Like, hastening the cooking is is not okay. That goes back to the liquid thing that we were talking about. You can't bring something that's like 115 Fahrenheit up to boiling. But didn't you say at the first, once it's cooked, it's cooked, the Hebrew phrase? Yes, I know. I know. And some of these almost seem like contradictions, but there there is like kind of a workaround when it comes to that. So the the hastening is sort of like this additional fence. Like the the you know, there isn't any cooking after cooking is describing like fully cooked solids like chicken and meat and stuff like that, that these potentially could span breads and um, any kind of like soups and vegetables, all kinds of other stuff. Then we cannot place food on a covered electric stove. Let's see, on Shabbat, because that is like the, the direct heat, uh, because, and, and that was a, a helpful um, thing from whoever that was that posted that comment about there being the two layers, because 
there does need to be like separate layers. Like it, even if you just stuck like this baking sheet, you know, on top of a stove, you couldn't necessarily use that. There are like a true blech has like several layers to it. And I guess just two. But um, typically, it's the water that gets heated and then heats the top part. So that's like the separation there. Mm -hmm. You cannot put any non-fully cooked food, liquid, or solid in a cleavery shown, even if it's off the fire. So this is the one that was on the fire, and now it's off the fire. We cannot add like non-fully cooked food to it. That's the appearance of it. Yeah, yeah. We cannot pour hot water from a cleavery shown onto like sugar, coffee, cocoa, tea leaves, and that goes back to the cleavery shown being the urn. We can't just like, you know, pour that hot water you straight put into it from the two other to cup. three. No. Exactly. Exactly. Well, no, wait. For for most things, you just put it from one on. to two. One to two. So I'm confused. Explain yeah, that. one to two for the ones that I mentioned before. They were like the super super cooked stuff. So we got like sugar, saccharin, instant coffee, soup powder, milk powder, instant cocoa. Those can be in a cliche. And you can so you can go hot water straight into the cliche. That's they, okay. But, they, but, but these specifically, note the difference, is sugar, coffee, cocoa, those are not instant ones. So these do require the cliche. Okay. And then just going back to the, the shiny concept and the shlishi as of those two. Did they say to add the item to the water in the cup? Or do they have you add the water in the to the item in the cup? Because that's important. Because I'm like, if, let, let's say you, you're doing the, the third one. Like you want you want to add your your tea. You want to keep you know use your tea bag. Put your tea bag in the cup. You take the water from the the first one. You put it in a second holding retainer. You put that into your in your cup. Can you you put the tea bag in only after the water's in the third one, right? Right, and that that's how it is for all of these because you it's essentially like waiting until the vessel becomes the cliche or the cliche, and that's when whatever it is that you're passing through. And I guess the idea it. is that it's supposed to have cooled significantly by that exactly. point. Exactly. That's that's really the only reason behind it, and that is why there are there are a lot of halakhic authorities that disagree with making tea with a tea bag, even if it's in a cliche, because the idea is like, guys, it is not going to have cooled that much by transferring it into two different mugs, and they generally discourage that and highly recommend making some sort of tea essence or something but, like that. But, but, but with coffee, that would not be an issue? Because it's already roasted or... Right, or yeah, there, there's been a roasting process as opposed to like the drying process of tea leaves. I guess there are certain food groups, and I didn't write all of those down, but things like, for instance, they were saying small fish, like little herring and stuff like that, and sardines, that cooks really, really quickly. So those are sort of a special exception versus something like ox meat, which apparently is like the, the <laughs> it takes the hottest of hot to right. actually cook that. Yeah, we, we, we deal with that every week. Right, so there's two exceptions to the rules of yeah. like what is acceptable, and tea leaves do sort of fall it's into expensive. that category of like, oh, well, it, it does, things don't have to be, like water doesn't have to be as hot to technically cook tea leaves as it does to cook coffee. Okay. Um, and, and I think that's kind of where that they're coming from there. There are other issues I've heard with tea bags as well, like you run the risk of like wringing it out. Right. Oh, another, yeah, no squeezing. Well, not, because that falls into another category. Um, I can't remember right now. But and you might be tempted to put a lemon in it, which would be cooking the lemon. <laughs> no, well, okay. 
So then, uh, <laughs> placing the tea leaves, right, so yeah, you can't, the, the, this thing was definitely saying, definitely no tea leaves at all in the Klee Shaney or in the Klee Shlishi, um, or I'm sorry, Klee Rishon or Klee Shaney. So the, set, the first and second vessel are a no-no for the tea leaves, but as I said, some authorities do say it is okay to use tea leaves in the third vessel. And this was the other one that we talked about earlier, about butter or seasoning going on like a potato or meat, uh, and, and the potato or meat being a temperature higher than 113 degrees. Uh, then another interesting thing, this comes up a lot, is stirring your food on Shabbat, because that does speed up the cooking process. And they that is generically kind of like generally frowned upon. Um, there are some, some ways you get around that by like, making sure that you remove the soup ladle really, really carefully to as, so as not to disturb anything in the Klee Rishon, and then you can sort of stir things that have been transferred to the Klee Shaney. But it, it, there's just there's a, a bunch of hoops that you can jump through in order to do that, and that's assuming that you've left the ladle into the Klee Rishon um, as well, because it's kind of like generically thought that it has reached the same temperature as the things in the Klee Rishon, therefore it has taken on the, the essence of being a cleavery shown. Whereas if you were to take just a ladle and add it to it later to scoop some out into your second dish, right? then that's totally fine. Yeah. yeah. So basically, the cleavery shown is sitting there keeping it warm. Never you don't do anything else with it at all. That is, that's a, that's a very good generic statement. Absolutely. Like, if we want to simplify these things at the end there, that is a perfect one to start with. It it's sits just, there to hold the food. Really just don't the don't touch it. To your food. Absolutely. And then you've got the, it's always just safe to transfer the things in the cleavage shown into something into the cliche and then just go ahead and use a separate bowl for that too. That's just kind of the plan. There is going to be such a mad rush on supergreens. <laughs> oh, I know, right? After class. Yeah. And uh, the, other, the other thing that... <laughs> this, is, this is just a very interesting <laughs> practical area. And I, I don't necessarily understand all of the science behind it, but turning on your hot tap water is actually not okay because of the idea that you are, you are draining water out of the hot water heater, which then adds Reheats. more hot water. Right, and so it's bringing... The temperature of the water, like cooking it, basically. So how, how, do you avoid, how do you avoid that? Just using they, cold water? Or well, yeah, they say they say just using cold water, and in in the case of like, not necessarily a dire circumstance, but one one suggestion I heard was you could have your urn that has pretty hot water in it, yeah, that you would essentially use for tea and stuff, and you would use that to mix very, very little of that into a large amount of cold water to just kind of take the sting out of it in order to do something like clean your hands or something like that. Because okay. it is, it, there, there, it, again, like with the milk thing, like if there is absolutely, based on appearance and everything, no possible way that the amount could change the state of the other thing, then it's generally okay. But that obviously is not the case in a hot water heater because the whole thing does bring it up to the temperature that's hotter than that. Right, and I mean, and the hot water heater gets hot. And yeah, that, if you've ever gone up and actually looked at your hot water heater dial, um, you can turn it up quite, quite warm. So they actually mentioned in addition, we think about it like boiling the water. But one example that I actually heard was you can't even do that if you have a solar hot water heater. 
Same concept applies. That yes, that is the same concept applies there. But some there was a really interesting thing, and I didn't really look too much into it. So I don't. I certainly don't want to make any halakhic assumptions here. But like using the sun essentially to cook things is generally accepted. Really? As okay. Yeah. From what I saw, like they were saying, you could essentially cook an egg using the sun. Like, which is really kind of interesting. Um, but can we use the magnifying glass? That's, 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 that's interesting because yeah, I've actually natural. heard... It's totally natural. Yeah. I've actually right. heard, but I've actually heard like, that, there's, that there's some, maybe it's certain Ashkenazi sects, but there are some who say that's not allowed, and yet they work really hard to keep things out of the sun so that it doesn't accidentally cook it. There's some Sparta sects that actually, they, they, you know, it's cold water, cold food, don't use the bathroom. The entire Shabbat. Wow. Whoa. Wow. This guy's got some control. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's an, that's control really like cojones. <laughs> Spain. Yeah, Spanish people. Yeah. Well, um, that that is a good. I, like I said, I, I didn't look too much into it, but that there was some generic statements like, and of course, if it's even possible, you, you know, the sun is an okay source of. Of cooking, um, and then now, now I, I might actually be thinking of, of reheating as opposed to cooking, like yeah. from like non-cooked to cooked. Now that I think about it, I think that's more that's along the lines of what it was. But that was just a, a, kind of an interesting category. Like um, great so the, the sources for this particular area of study that I'll just kind of throw out there was um, TorahEmet.org was a good one. Halakopedia, actually, if you guys haven't been on there, that's so helpful. <laughs> yeah, they there is they really break Who things down thunk? super easy, and that, I, is I, I, that is a great one. And again, I'll just mention JewishPathways.com has like six excellent classes regarding specifically cooking and baking. And we didn't really get into baking, as you notice, because that one is pretty straightforward. There isn't a whole lot of other ways that you bake things. You use hot air to create something like to change the state of dough basically and that one is so straightforward that they just kind of Not are generally sun. like don't bake and then when the cook comes to cooking it applies to solids liquids and even non-foods like mortar you can't apply mortar to something and then it harden or you can't heat something that is totally not a, a, a food at all to the point of liquefying um stuff like that on something like bread you know, reheating bread or pizza. A Dutch oven? I mean, because you said it has to be cooked, or it has to be heated in the same way that it was cooked. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that could potentially work. Uh, most of the time when it came to something like that, they were talking about using a heat source like the flip. I mean, it's like a Dutch oven you put on top of yeah. it. You put, put on top of a, a black. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, essentially, I, I don't see why that would, uh, why that would be an issue. Yeah. That's a good question. I, that kind of wraps up the do's and don'ts of this particular one. It wasn't too painful. I hope you guys learned a good bit and have a good idea about, because really the main parts here are the vessels. Once you kind of understand that, it unlocks a whole lot of the specifics in the halakha regarding Bishul. So I, I hope everybody has lots of questions and discussion. Yes. All right, so you gave uh, some of your sources here. Yosef Ben Gerson wanted to give us uh, Shemarat Shabbat. It's a guide to practical observance of Shabbat by Rob Yehoshua Newworth. That's three volumes, so I'm sure it's uh, similar to what the kind of stuff you went through. And the 39 Mellow Coat by Rabbi David 
Riviat. So uh, they do a good job of going through the prohibitions. Um, my first question has to do with the microwave. So our habit in, uh, in the Squitterini residence is, uh, you know, the cold pizza comes out and we, uh, you know, we're heating or keeping the cold pizza warm um, in the oven. So that's that's fine. We're okay there. We get the Rishon deal. As long as it's already warm. Right. Mm -hmm. Got the Rishon deal going. No problem. Uh, I'm normally not one to wait for the uh, Rishon dealio to uh, to make the cheese move a little. So I'm I'm hitting the microwave. So we never cook any kind of bread in the microwave. So is what you understand now that since it was baked to be pizza. It needs to be baked to stay pizza. That that is a big part of it. Absolutely, that was going to be my first thing that would say that that wouldn't be okay according to the standard of halakha. Yeah. The second thing is the the microwave itself. Like I have I every source that I read never recommended a microwave, and in most of them said they are absolutely not allowed. It's like a light switch. Yeah. Um, that hence the blech and like flipping pots over in order to yeah. heat stuff. I mean, it's it's they are that is like basically their source. Like so, that is so the, the Gentiles are the only ones using the, the yeah, microwave. Yeah, pretty much. Instead of the, the stove, we're using the uh, no yeah, we're using no the microwave. microwave. Right. Yeah. Okay. I Joshua, I think um, first. So then, what if you? So they discouraged even using a stove, even if your stove was set to. 105 degrees. I'm just like hypothetically speaking. Let's put a black on it. But it still needs to have something over uh, top of it. The electric stoves, yeah, absolutely have to have something covered. Yeah. Well, that's the whole idea of this, this water based electric. Yeah. yeah. Multiple layers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, uh, yeah, the basically putting it as far away from the source of heat as possible uh, to, to prevent it reaching a certain temperature. But you really throw a wrench in it by saying 105 because. The whole idea behind a black is so that things don't reach the 113. Right. Um, I'm just wondering, like, I mean, hypothetically speaking, with some ovens today, you can get pretty precise. Ovens are, no. No? This says, cooking on uh, Halakopedia says, cooking on the stove is forbidden to place anything on an electric stove unless it's covered. It doesn't mention anything about the temperature, though. Okay. Well, and that was, no my, my only thought was, there is a heavy focus on the uh, 113 degrees Fahrenheit, yeah. which is the only, like, caution I would have on that. Before I would say like absolutely not because of that. Everybody always says that. N absolutely no direct source, whether it's fire, if you have a gas stove, or electric. Absolutely not. But you regardless, have to have a on an orthodox position, you couldn't take something out of the fridge and put it on the black. Anyway. That's right. No. That's right. Right. Yeah. Not, you, didn't do your, um, you didn't do your Shabbat prep. Yeah. You need to pull that out before Shabbat begins. Exactly. And and that's kind of where the concept. Yeah. That, there, temperature. Yeah. That that's where the concept that's of like Shabbat flipping prep. something over. Um, that came when when it came to like uh, breads and even something like pizza, you know, if you if you were able to put it on here and just reach like a relatively lukewarm temperature, you could do it that way. Um, but yeah, absolutely not. Like if this was in the refrigerator before Shabbat, no way that that was going on the black. So, but you could take a piece of cool bread, like if you if you let's say you put your pizza in the fridge to let it sit, could you put it on top of the upside down pot? Yeah. Yeah, and you could take the sauce out of the uh, uh, the uh, clearly shown and add it to the bread. 
And I've, I've even seen like sometimes kind of, to, to kind of do that same concept. Um, and again, like, every time you try to get creative when it comes to this, they, every time they always hit you with the, yeah, but that looks like cooking. Like, so, like, when it came to one thing, they said, Smoke cooker is just the only way to go, man. Yeah, like, so technically, if you had, you know, like, a frying pan, and then this came out of the fridge, and you stuck this on the frying pan, it's the same concept as, like, taking something and putting it on the mm -hmm. pot right? But that looks like cooking, and so generally, that's kind of frowned upon as well. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you have something? I had a question about the uh, the oven, the Shabbat oven. So you can turn that to any temperature you want. Does that is that subject to the same? When you, you cannot exceed 113. I think all of them. When you turn it on, if you don't do anything, it's at 110. Believe it or yeah. not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And could you pass 113 if you want? I can. To? I, on ours, I, I you know whether it's halakhically correct or not. Is, yeah, that's is the not question. Point, but I can touch. I, I just go three five zero. You don't hear a thing. You don't see anything. There's no indication. But that oven's getting hotter. Yeah. And according to what I just learned, that would be inappropriate. Right. Inappropriate. Yeah. That's right. Right. Now, you got if I turned it on Shabbat and had it at 350, I'm cool. Well, I'm actually pretty warm. Just as long as you know you aren't taking anything that's lesser than that and then adding it to it. We don't want exactly. to. We don't want to make it hotter. Exactly. Right. Although 350 would probably cause things to boil. Or that would not if it's not water. Yeah, if it's yeah. bread. Or molten it would, it would, that, or it would definitely molten lead becomes molten at six yeah. What's the temperature taste of the book? Fahrenheit four fifty one. Did you read the book? I did. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> so um does anyone have any, light? Other, any other questions regarding cooking? No. I, doesn't I, doesn't mom have a black? Because Morgan yeah. mentioned she thought she did. Yeah. And I, I thought if I was going to come early enough, I would kind of pull it up to show everybody. Yeah. Did, who has a black? I have no idea why anyone would even think of cooking now. I mean, after this. I mean, <laughs> it, is, it is really, it, it is quite yeah. intense. I, I mean, and, and this does bleed over into our discussion, I don't know if it's next week or not, about kindling a, a flame regarding electricity uh, yeah, and, I don't know when that is. and the use of like microwaves yeah. and, and other things because, I don't know you know, we... we, we there are some technicalities that we can kind of get around it if we generally accept the idea that we can use electricity. But if we don't, then we're kind of You're falling back on like this. I, I'm, for sure. I'm, I'm very impressed with the idea that our Shabbat is more joyous, is more relaxing and restful and less tedious if we prepare on Arab Shabbat. If we prepare on Friday, we can, we can do all this. It's not a problem. Yeah. But if, if you're walking, you know, into Shabbat, eyes closed, like a noob or a Gentile. One you know, of the same. Yeah, yeah, pretty much one of the same. You're, yeah. you're a host. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. you don't have a clue. And, and that, going through any of number one of these, any number of these, any of the ones that Taylor or Joshua have touched on, one thing that always kind of stands out in how strict the Halakha is, is how burdensome it kind of sounds when when you are just like approaching it from a fresh start from like a gentile perspective right, right. and it just really struck home as i was looking into all of these about how important judaism is to itself like the the idea of discipleship the idea of having a rabbi the idea of living in a community this stuff would just be 
have it Bishop. by the time you're you're of age to be bar mitzvah. I mean, it's 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 really nothing to them, and uh, I mean, it, it just always comes across in as in such a joyous tone, which which is so encouraging, you know, because you you don't really hear from rabbis like. Oh yeah, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. So we just gotta wait for after Shabbat. Most of the time, it's like, well, don't want to do that. Can't do that. Can't do this. But you can do this. And they they just have such a joy in their approach to what they what they don't do on Shabbat. And and I think we can all learn from that Amen. as we are wrestling with these in our own walks. Yes, uh, well, I mean, a lot of this is is actually born out also culturally in, in Jewish foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jewish mm-hmm. people eat pizza on Shabbat. So it's not an issue. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and so all of it, when you when you consider Jewish foods and if you have uh, you know Jewish cookbooks, you can see really easily why certain foods are promoted and used a lot or why others aren't. Mm-hmm. Because it lends very well to keeping warm versus and the slow cooker is the perfect example. I mean it's like the thing that goes I mean, we, we've had a slow cooker uh, at Oneg here for years. Absolutely. Well, why? Well, it's because you can prepare it ahead of time and it stays warm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and, and uh, okay, we plug it in. But anyway, the point <laughs> is, though, yeah. but, but that concept is certainly there. And if you were at home, most certainly. I mean, it's just not an issue at all. That's an excellent point. Colant, which is like the, yeah. the Jewish stew, is, is a, a very popular example used throughout this whole process because that, that is an excellent point. You do see a consistency in the types of foods that are served on Shabbat. Right. And uh, an interesting note about that that I didn't necessarily bring up, but uh, unless someone asked about it, but with the slow cookers, one of the issues is actually insulating something. Mm-hmm. So if you were to take something off of a kli, uh, off of the blech, and it's a kli rishon, you couldn't wrap a towel around it in order to conserve heat. And that is essentially the idea behind a slow cooker. So the way that they get around that is really interesting. Yeah, they put like little pieces of tin foil so that the insert where the actual food is yeah. is like slightly off of the source of heat, so that it's it's not creating like an insulation, but yeah. it's still keeping it relatively hot. That is a pretty strict like halakha though, because slow cookers are very very. They are widely used. So, so, so we're tearing the toilet paper or we're tearing the tinfoil. I mean, you know, toilet paper. Pre-tear. Hang on, wait. Wouldn't, 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 the, uh, wouldn't wrapping yeah. in a towel just, just maintain the heat? Why would that make it conform? Well, it's that that is a, a, apparently kind of um, just an issue because I think the idea is it, it might do more than retain the heat and, and might further its cooking, I guess. I, it was, it, they were a little ambiguous about why, but they did say like insulation of any kind was kind of, was not okay. And it may have been because generally your source of heat needs to be the blech instead of like itself, um, because then it almost like takes on it the, the quality of like the, the source of heat and like the, the container that the food is in. It's kind of weird. But, yeah. but, but you could go from Rishon to Shani and then wrap in, right? That that is an excellent question, actually. I because in one place you're taking you're making this Rishon and you're not you're not having to put it back immediately because you got it wrapped. It's not going to change and all that. So it really becomes you a know, walking Rishon, and that's not the point. I would like the other based on, based on the stuff we talked about. I would probably say that is okay 
But I I probably would want to check into that before. So don't definitely is don't put that, that coffee. But, but that does make sense just based on what we know of the different vessels for sure. Only a beer. Yeah. Samuel uh, notes that uh, Rabbi Yosef is actually Yosef is is a rabbi who has been um, uh, chiming in here, and uh, he's in Denver, Colorado, and uh, he leads a modern Orthodox Sephardic Messianic congregation, and they are Shomer Shabbat. Mm. Looks like I'm moving so, uh, to Denver. We're moving to Denver, or we're sending the good rabbi a that's, bunch of questions. Yeah, that's, everybody that's, say hello, rabbi. Hello, hello rabbi. rabbi. But see, and that and that is another, Mr. Rickner. There's just another excellent example. Like, you just you read through this stuff, and you're like, man, this there does there are a lot of nuances and a lot of scenarios that you could come up with, and that is exactly where a rabbi or a halakhic authority comes in, because you'd be able to ask a question like that, and they, having studied this m- much more than I have, would have better answers and and be able to rule halakhically so that. You kind of you're at, you're you're not doing something and thinking like ooh I'm not really sure if this is okay but we're gonna do it. You have uh, comfortability with whatever you're doing, knowing that it's okay. The rabbi says everybody needs a rabbi. Yeah, it everybody sense. needs a rabbi. Everybody does sense. need a rabbi. But I I, I think uh, you know the focus we're trying to have in all these classes, as as you've uh, demonstrated, is if we want to be obedient. To the Orthodox community, what does obedient look like? We don't need to look at, for ways to get around it. Let's figure out, you know, what's what's the deal? What's the concern? What's the fence? Why is the fence? And uh, and let's make some decisions. Uh, I, I promised um, uh, as of last week or the week before that Johnny had turned around and said, you know, who who did this hit home to? I mean, who's who's going to be considering this particular thing in in their walk? And at least last week or the week before, whatever that was, you know, like 97% of the hands went up. This is going to affect my family. Sure. Anybody else? Yeah, and, yeah. and okay. yeah. please share, like, how. I mean, for me, for instance, we are, my girls already don't play with Legos on Shabbat. Um, we, you know, we, we've never really, like, built a tent or anything inside anyway, <laughs> but we, we, we won't do that. Um, in terms of demolishing everything, I I am just going to have to cool my anger and uh, yeah, stop no holes in the walls. <laughs> yeah, when I when I vehemently disagree with Rashi on a particular point, I will not take it out on the wall. Because really, Rambam now disagrees with Rashi. Rambam. 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 Yeah. Sundays, like, Sundays are open time now because he won't have no more wall repairs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. We're we're uh, we're going to need to look a lot more at the the whole black thing and and the the rabbi's suggestion of that. Water-based one that'll go on the stove. So how does that work exactly? You, you take a pot. No, it's it's no, a no, it's, it's an actual boiling water. You, you, it's a device you buy. So. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is really cool. I mean, like the the homemade ones have a similar idea. Like I just used a baking sheet, but that wouldn't technically count. Like you would need a baking sheet upside, water, water yeah. and then the baking sheet on top of that. Right. Yeah, so um, this thing you buy it, it's it's yeah. sealed. Oh, that's always turn it on. Yeah, it's sealed. It's, it's they they make oh, those for a reason. They do. Yeah, <laughs> it makes yeah, life better, better and easier. Eventually, yeah. Drop. yeah. <laughs> yes, but anyone else like where you're standing on some of the holidays? Just kind of kind of wrapping up, but but we talked about this last week, and just in your prep, you said I'm gonna teach my family this first before I come and teach everyone here this. So mm-hmm. I just really enjoyed your demonstration. But one thing that stuck out tonight was like we're all 
the easy thing to do with, with cooking is just like, well, here's the halakha, here you go, Morgan, help, just do whatever, just do, do, do what you want to do with it. But every passage that you quoted was a, rab, a rabbi, a man, discussing what to do as far as cooking on Shabbat, what to do this. So it's just, it seems like the, the easy thing to do is like, well, just let your wives figure this out. And that's, that's not the case. The right. case is we learn it here right. and we teach Amen. our families, but more importantly, we're able to simplify it so we can also teach our children. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. delegation is not the solution here, but it's to learn it. That, that's an excellent point, and and that even relates like for for a long time, the halakha in our household, just really maybe not even for biblical or or even rabbinic reasons, but I just generically said to Morgan, you're not going to do dishes on Shabbat. Like, don't worry about those. Stack them in the in the sink and just leave it because she does dishes every single day of her life. And this is just another one of those situations where it's like, what if you didn't have to cook at all? For an entire day, you didn't even have to reheat anything. It was all like sitting out, ready and waiting for our bowl. Like that is just as easy as it gets for our wives, you know? But so, like you said, if we understand it fully and we invest in the proper tools and we know what is okay and what is not okay and we share that with our wives, it inevitably makes it easier on Shabbat for them. Now, as my wife did point out, it certainly does increase the amount of preparation the prep on Fridays, is, the prep is for sure. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, absolutely. That's cool. And not only to temper things, <laughs> um, but I, I think it's also, <laughs> as we go through these, we've taken now three per week for the last three weeks. That's nine so far. we got 30 left to potentially cover. Um, and um, it's not uncommon to hear people encourage newcomers to this stuff to take things slowly because if you try to necessarily say okay we're hitting we're going to add three new melakot every single week to our halakha first off you're going to probably go crazy and if you don't go crazy I can almost guarantee your family is going to go crazy because there's so many things you got to change there's so many things that it touches so because it's so foreign to us and because it, and it, and it is big like this we've got a lot of different stuff so it's probably a good idea whether you want to do it slowly over time, or whether you want to, imp- you know, wait till you get through everything and then kind of figure out what's the most important to add first and kind of work through it. But um, I would almost say I would discourage, and not to say that if you, if you really want to go for it, go for it. I don't want to. I don't want to keep people from keeping Shabbat, but it's like be careful how much you bite off because the, even even rabbis are cautious about people getting discouraged from trying to keep it, finding that they can't, and then throwing their hands up and saying I'm done. Like, this is just way too hard. Yeah, and I mean, even typically with like a new convert or even somebody that is completely secular that is beginning a religious walk, they, they are getting invited to a rabbi's house like on a lot of Shabbats before they start doing it themselves to see what they do and be able to ask these questions. So absolutely. Along the same line, just from uh, the history of Messianic Judaism, uh, there is a tendency um, that your personal halakha then becomes an expectation of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And without a central authority, which no Messianic community, even if you have a rabbi, has, because generally Messianics are already iconoclasts. They come to it because they're individuals, not because they're part of a culture. And so they're already at a disadvantage to the cultural thinking and the central authority thinking. 
That being said, what you end up with is, and there's you probably can find many messianic communities of this way, that when there becomes a strict standard in some households or many households, sometimes there's stark and almost and very painful division because of that. Mm. Which is because then you expect everybody else to follow your heart. No, that, that's that's an excellent point, and that's very dangerous and it's divisive. It's, it's very yeah. It's one absolutely. of the reasons why we have. We, we don't publish Halakha for Bellator. And, and it's why we said three weeks ago, we're going to go through all of these. The goal is that each man will come up with the Halakha for his family and he'll be able to defend it. That's it. It's not so that we come out with a community Halakha that says this or that or the other. Um, I'd love to get one of these cool, you know, water-filled black deals. You know, so we can provide it to the community when everybody shows up. I mean, that's, that's neat. Um, I think one of the greatest gifts we can give our wives is a cliché-ing. <laughs> Super training. Yeah. And, and the cup of washing the dishes after Shabbat. Ooh, now, that's well, not, yeah. After Shabbat. <laughs> yeah, that's just what I follow, said. Just follow up to that, because that, 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 that's great. But um, the, uh, um, and I've, I've shared this example before, where... Bellator is very accepting. People come in and you know basically they're welcomed and they they have no difficulty at all adapting to whatever everybody else is doing. People are very accommodating to one another. Um, but there was something that that occurred a number of uh, a number of years ago that that was very interesting to me, where where a family came that was not from this area, not from the community, and and uh, and unbeknownst to them, the conversation was overheard by others. Um, where the mother and the children were ready to eat, and the father said, "No, no, you can't eat. Right? Why can't we have to wait until another family that has prepared the food that meets our standard uh, is arrives?" Mm-hmm. Um, and what that um, obviously they were not trying to be divisive or to be disruptive or in any way, but you always, without exception, if you have a standard that's higher than someone else. It will always be no. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful it's true. that your standard is not condemning. Because the impression, and I wasn't the only person I heard it, but the impression was our food's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And that's, as we saw in the book of Galatians, and as we see elsewhere in the Apostolic Scriptures, when it comes to food, that's a divider. Yeah. Oh, that's an excellent point. And, and it is a community and fellowship. Absolutely. So when, you, so when you say, no, no, that food's not good enough, that's why we work extra hard to make sure that we don't offend one another with right. what we bring that's right. so that we don't cause division. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a good point. I mean, even personally, we, and, and I, this is definitely open to, to discussion, and I'd, I'd love to be proved wrong, but at the moment, we do only eat kosher meat, but if we are at a household of a very respected elder of, of ours, then generally, if it's not a yeah, biblical yeah. prohibition like, like pork or anything like that or shellfish, we just generally don't ask. Just, again, sure like not to, not to so cause that division, the, the exactly division right. there. So, um, yeah. Yes, Judith. I just want to say that I think we really don't Warm up. We're only allowed to stay warm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I hope I covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> yeah. 
Simmer Does down anybody now, have okay. <laughs> 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 It wasn't a particularly heated discussion. I think we can table this talk. Yeah. Well, as long as we're building each other up in love. Not tearing them down. Right. That's the important thing. Now, does anybody so else, I would love, does anybody else have like a, a kind of a halakha or, or a standard regarding either about. of the three that we talked about tonight? Okay. I'd love to hear more. That's good. Anybody else? You going to construct a conclusion for us? It, that, yeah, that was, I was going to leave this in. But, yeah, <laughs> any, no one else? Good. Okay. No, that's great. The first two, like I said, I were pretty straightforward. For a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually had... This, this thing kept going off, but the whole purpose of getting this sound effect app was specifically so that if Johnny or Wayne were to mention something, I could uh, just hit the... <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And then if you know, Pete said anything... <laughs>